It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each and every week at this time, we look at some sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic. We've got a gambling segment. We've got a segment where you can ask me a question on any topic, any topic, literally. Just go to the Twitters and hit the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. I hope Elon Musk allows us to continue to use that hashtag. Who knows where that's going, but I hope he does. And as long as he does, we can still do that, and you can ask me questions. As always, this podcast is presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. Rick, how are we doing? I'm good. Well done. Very topical of you there with the Elon Musk name drop. Thank that you. How about strong. that? strong. You never thought I could work that in a podcast, did, did you? I didn't know you were up to date on that, to be quite honest. I I am Mr. Hip. I'm looking forward. I'm so hip, Rick. I'm looking forward to Nelly's halftime performance at the Bengals-Ravens game. I thought you were going to say at the Super Bowl. I was like, her name is Rihanna, not Nelly. No, it's Nelly this week. (laughs) Nelly Furtado. Yeah. All right. Let's let's get into some sports talk here. Last weekend, couldn't have gone better for the Bengals, Skitty. After they pulled even at 2-2 two and two with a Thursday night win over the Dolphins, the rest of the division did them a solid as the Ravens lost 23-20 to the Bills, the Browns lost 23-20 to the Falcons, and the Steelers lost 24-20 to the Jets. So now the Bengals, the Browns, the Ravens are all 2-2. Two and two. The Steelers are 1-3. and three. Let's reassess, Skinny. Give me your AFC North power rankings through week four of the season. I'm going Baltimore one because honestly they should be four zero. I mean to to blow two seventeen plus point leads at home to Buffalo and Miami, and and those are two good teams, mind you, but at home, and they look so dominant in building those leads is just mind boggling to me. Um, they look great other than blowing leads. The Bengals are one A right now, and I could certainly this week's going to tell us probably a little bit which way I would flip that. The Browns are clearly third, and the Steelers are clearly fourth. I, I think I, I thought this division comes down to the two teams that that, that are going to play this Sunday night: the Bengals and the Ravens. Yeah, I think a lot of people felt that way coming in, but the way the Bengals started, getting off to that zero and two start, I think a lot of people changed up how they were looking at the way this was going to play out. It felt like the Ravens were all of a sudden the heavy favorite, and then the AFC North just does what the AFC North does, and <laughs> uh, all of a sudden we're right back to square one. In terms of how you feel about the Bengals season, a week makes a huge difference. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I think that's the part where Joe Burrow was right and Zach Taylor, where they were both right. I think Zach was right all along. He said, we've got good players. Now, you can argue the part I'm going to say next. We've got good coaches. We're, 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 we're fine. And, and sometimes that can be coach speak. But I believed that when he said it. I believe Joe Burrow when he said relax at 0-2. I, I believe those things because I do think this team is a good team on paper. And in a seven or a four-day window, rather, they proved that by winning two games. You know, again, we can all argue the whole backup quarterback thing, whatever. It doesn't they, they won two games to get themselves back on track. This is a good football team. I think Baltimore is a good football team. I think I'd be questioning Baltimore more than the Bengals based on them blowing two huge leads at home. Um, but yeah, I, I I think that they were all right. That Listen, I would have felt bad at 0-2, Rick, if I thought, oh man, they, they have no margin for error. They've got no room to mess up a Pittsburgh game. They've got no room to, to lose to Cooper Rush, who suddenly is, by the way, 3-0 as a starting quarterback. They have no, but, but they did, because they are a good team with good players, and I think they've shown that the last couple of weeks. Yeah, but it's it's funny because you can go through the, those first few weeks, and even though you know that they have good players and you saw what they did last season, you still start to question things. Sure. And you're like, wait, 
is this team good? Was last year a fluke? Is this all going to work out? Is the offensive line not at all? The moves they made, are they not at all going to work out the way we thought they would? So you do start questioning things, but then you get a huge win against the Dolphins in primetime last week. And yeah, you were in a good spot against them, given the way the schedule set up. But it's still a big win against a team that was as hot as any in the NFL. And all of a sudden you start looking back and I'm thinking, Skinny, if Clark Harris doesn't get hurt in the Steelers game, how would everyone be viewing the AFC North? That's right. right. No, that's, and that's the a, Bengals exactly. would be three and one and not just like, a oh, would have, should have, could have. They screwed up at the end of the game like the Ravens did. They really should have won the Steelers game if Clark Harris doesn't get injured. No, right. And that's where I go back to those guys were right. You've got good players. I think Zach was asked on Monday about, you know, how do you kind of the same thing we're talking about? How do you think he goes, I told you guys it's a long season. And he's right. I mean, I get overreactions. I get, I, I we all overreacted. And 0 and 2 was in a terrible spot, especially again, losing to what we thought was a bad Pittsburgh team and losing to a backup quarterback in Cooper Rush. And it felt awful. But now you're back to 2 and 2. And now you really, this, this week will, I think, is a great telltale sign of where are you. Doesn't mean if they lose this game, they suddenly suck. It's just a matter of, all right, let's see how you play against a really good offense with with a healthy quarterback and the team that you're going to probably have to beat in this division. You know, if you lose 27-24, okay, I still would feel pretty good about this team. If you win this game, you feel extraordinarily good because now you got game in hand against this group. Yeah, all of a sudden you feel like the Bengals are clearly the best team in the division. And honestly, if I'm doing the rankings right now, call me a homer, but I think I'm to the point where I've completely flipped on this team in a week. I was worried about them a week ago, worried about the offensive line, worried about the run game, starting to think some of last year was fluky. And now I'm completely on the other side. I'm going, you know what? They should be three and one. They could easily be four and oh, just like you could make that claim with the Ravens. It's starting to look eerily similar to last year in terms of the start they got off to and and the way they're finding ways to win games now. So uh, it's it's definitely changed how I've thought about this team in a hurry. And I think right now I would say the Bengals look like the best team in the division, but clearly the, the Ravens have an argument too. And a lot will be decided on Sunday night in primetime when the Bengals travel to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. Skinny, when you look back to what the Bengals did last year against the Ravens, blowing them out twice, do you see that as a positive sign that they match up well against that team or they figured something out about them? Or do you see it as a concern in the sense that the Ravens are now going to have that extra motivation of what you did to them last year? Yeah, I'm not a big believer in extra motivation, to be quite frank. I think every game is a different animal. I, I The second matchup doesn't do much for me because they were so decimated in the secondary. That was the game that Burrow threw for 525 yards. They were down to literally fifth, sixth, seventh cornerbacks. Right. And, and I'm not taking Josh Johnson as their starting quarterback. And Josh Johnson. And actually, Josh Johnson threw for 300 yards that day, but you're yeah. right. Yeah. Um, the, the thing I take a little solace in is what they did to Lamar the first time around, where Lou Anarumo really had him on the ropes. Um, they made him a little bit one-dimensional, which helped because they got to a big lead. Um, we'll look on that. That We'll go to the other side of the ball here in a second. But, you know, he and, and I thought a lot of NFL pundits after that game um, did some really good – film breakdown of some of the coverage schemes that Lou Anarumo used in that game to really throw Lamar for a loop. And that's, and I don't want that to be a criticism of Lamar. I think it was more of what Lou did to him to, to kind of confuse him and has done to some other teams, the way he disguises coverages. Um, well, that was the game where he got really funky, where he started putting like one or no down linemen and yep, Roman correct. guys all around. Yep. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And again, some of that, and he, he we talked to him uh, yesterday and he even talked about, Hey, listen, when we got the lead and we're able to make them one dimensional, he said, it's not 
Lamar's not a good passer. He said it just takes away all that eye candy run game stuff that you're so worried about of, of you know, him faking here and running there and going 60 yards and you don't even know what just happened. So um, I, I think that was part of it. When, when you can make them one-dimensional and you don't have to worry about Lamar in the run game and all the stuff that they do in their run game, um, it does make it easier to defend. But I thought he had a good plan for them. You know, on the other side of the ball, I think that was the game where you just saw, okay, you want a single cover, Jamar Chase, go ahead and do it. And they tried it, and it didn't work. Now, teams have obviously started very quickly to say, no, you're not going to do that, which we've seen now, the reemergence of T. Higgins. We saw big plays by all three receivers when they all got manned up. It is a different defensive scheme. The the great, and you know I'm going to say it, I have to say it, Wink Martindale um, isn't there anymore, and his blitz-heavy scheme isn't there anymore. They're still blitz, they're still aggressive, but they're not what they were. So this is a different defense. But I, I think it showed that game, and I think Miami kind of was the tip of that for this year of, okay, you want a single single 85 with your best corner? He's going to beat you, and he did. You want to then single Tyler Boyd out of the slot after doubling him all game, which they did. They hit him for a big play. Late in the game when they had to take a chance, you want to now, okay, now you have to single cover Jamar Chase because of where the game's at. Okay, I'm going to take my shot here. That's what that passing game looks like. I'm with you on the – I don't really believe in need an extra motivation and these guys are all professionals and, and that type of thing. But I think this is a little bit different when you say the Bengals put up 41 on them twice last year. Joe Burrow threw for over 500 yards in that second game. Chase got them for 200 yards in the first game and then Higgins just missed it in the second game with like 194 yards or something. There, there, there's got to be some personal pride on the line for some of those defenders, I would imagine. Not that oh, that sure. changes anything. But you do have to imagine they have this game circled to some extent. Sure, and 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 there's there was a lot of remember there's a lot of joying after that second game where they thought that that, yeah. that that the Bengals ran it up on them, especially in the yardage category with Burrow still throwing at the end. Well, you know, and yeah. and I mean Joe and some of those guys were talking a little bit too because yep, of were. what Wink was saying before the game. No, right? No, they were. Um, you know, and he talked about he's got friends on that team. You know, Patrick Queen is a is a former LSU teammate. He jawed a little bit after the game. Um, and, 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 you know, I, it's funny, Joe, Joe comes off as this, he's the Joe cool guy, right? He's the guy that, that I used to coach on my AAU team where I'd I say, I used to tell them, don't talk smack to the, where I can hear it. Cause if I hear it and something happens out, you come, you just, you can do it under your breath. You can do it as silent as, as you want, as long as I don't hear it. I don't care. And I think that's Joe Burrow. I think Joe Burrow loves talking. He even talking about he goes, that's kind of the fun part of the game. But he's one of those guys, he's going to do it suddenly, right? And he's going to get under your skin just enough. He talked about it. him and Patrick Queen were, were locker mates at LSU. And he goes, we got into a few skirmishes and scraps. And Paul Dater came out and said, what do you mean? He goes, I'm going to leave that for now. And I thought, that's kind of interesting to me that I can't see him and Patrick Queen coming to fist the cuffs, but maybe they did. Um, but I think he's that guy that I think he loves. I think he loves, I think he thrives on that kind of stuff. But he's the guy that you're like, he doesn't talk smack. Oh, yeah, he does. He talks a lot of it. You mentioned Week Martindale no longer being with them. They have the new defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, aside from not being as good so far, do you see any other clear differences between the, the two schemes or what they're trying to do? No, I, I, I've i watched a little bit of their games. Like I said, I've watched those two games, they blew leads. I, I, I'm trying to figure out how that's happened. Um, you, you give me... Um, you give me Marcus Peters and, and, and Marlon Humphrey as my corners, and I'm going to do a lot of damage. And Patrick Queen in the middle and Calais Campbell up front, you're going to be able to do a lot of good things. They have not to this point. They've given up big chunk plays, which is weird. Yeah, and they struggled um, to stop the run big and time. And they struggled to stop the run. So 
um, you know, maybe this is the week that, that the running attack does get untracked. And we all kind of had that story after talking to Joe Mixon on Monday. Um, you know, he feels like it's, it's close. We've heard that a couple of times already this year that we're close and it hasn't clicked to this point. So maybe it does. But yeah, I mean, they still got dudes, in my opinion. They just haven't gotten it done, and especially they haven't gotten it done to hold leads. Well, the other thing about their defense right now is it's averaging two and a half takeaways per game, which is tied with Philly for the NFL yeah, they lead. Got, yeah, they got 10 total, yep. And part of that is the players you mentioned. Uh, they've got some guys that go make plays for you, but you do wonder a little bit of it's like, are they a, a little bit fluky right now no, with right. what they've done to start this season? Because they've ha- they have had some good fortune, and when they haven't been able to get those turnovers, they haven't gotten stops. They haven't gotten stops, and they've had trouble putting teams away because of that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a legitimate point, and uh, yeah, it's it's great to see the ten takeaways, and you know you could argue that's because they're aggressive and all those things, and. Some of it is they got guys with good ball skills and all that, but it also shows me that if you're not taking it away from the other team, you ain't stopping them either. And so the Bengals of late, and if you're a Bengals fan, you can knock on wood at this point when I say this next statement. After that first game for Joe Burrow, the Bengals have one turnover in the last three weeks. They've been good at taking care of the football. What else do we need to know about this Bengals-Ravens game coming up primetime Sunday night? Yeah, I, I, I fear that Lamar Jackson is on a mission, <laughs> and that's – Again, I'm not a big extra motivation guy, but yet to earn lots and lots of cash. Yes, but I go back to every time I've watched them, and it's usually on 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 red zone. Um, you know, around the, the start of Bengals games, I've had the good fortune the two weeks. You know, this past Sunday, obviously the Bengals didn't play, and the Sunday they they blew that big lead to Miami. Baltimore um, Baltimore played in the one o'clock window. The Bengals were a four twenty five kick, so I got a chance to watch a big chunk of that. Um, and I'm watching Lamar run around like a crazy man and making all these deep passes to Rashad Bateman and Devin Duvernay and Duvernay returning to kickoff for touchdown. They've made a bunch of big chunk plays, but then I look up and, you know, you're watching something else or red zone's got other things on. And all of a sudden you see, well, 20 to three is now 20 to 10, 20 to 10 is now 20 to 17 or 20 to 30. And, and like the Miami 35, 14 was suddenly 35, 21. Oh my gosh, it's 35, 28. So then you're going, well, it's not just the defense giving up stuff. Lamar ain't creating a whole lot of first downs now either. And so I just wonder if if they don't get chunk plays, can they drive the football? Maybe not. It'll be fascinating to see. It's going to be a big game for not just the Bengals, but the AFC North in general and really the entire AFC. This thing has gotten interesting and there's a lot riding on these two teams and whoever comes out on top. So uh, I think the entire NFL is going to have their eyes on this game. Great Sunday night game. I mean, if you're if you're a national audience, I think it's a great Sunday night game. It really is. And looking through the rest of the week, it's not a a great week overall for games. So this is going to be one of the the marquee matchups. They did a good job scheduling this one. Yeah, I agree. Um, any anything else there that came out of press conferences or your guys' coverage this week that you want to get yeah, to? I, yeah, I, I was. I thought Joe Mixon was really good talking to him on Monday. Joe doesn't like to talk much, and um, when he does, he's usually really good. And I think that he actually, you know, we, we've gone through a lot of Joe comes to his locker, gets his stuff, smiles at us and laughs and goes and hides. He came by a couple of times. I think he was waiting for, hey, is somebody going to ask to talk to me because I want to talk? And finally, a couple of us went over and uh, he said, yep. He said, give me one second. Let me get dressed and I'll talk. And he did. And I just thought he was really good about t- trying to take up for the lineman, pointing finger at himself of, hey, some of this. And, you know, he talked about having a, a meeting with the lineman last week. Um, trying to get everybody on the same page in this wide zone scheme of, you know, it's, it, it is a lot of feel. It is a lot of trying to get to gel. Um, you know, there's some 
advanced metrics that suggest Joe Mixon's lost a step, and maybe it has, and maybe that's why he wanted to talk maybe himself into, I, I'm going to fix this. He mentioned 2019 when they sucked in the run game for the first eight or nine weeks, and he had like 300 yards and then went for 880 over the last um, the last eight weeks of that season. So I thought he was really interesting because I, I think he believes it, but I think he's also talk, trying to talk himself into this is going to work, and sometimes that's scary because I, I haven't seen proof of that yet. Did you happen to see that NFL Live segment that uh, was tweeted out last night? I, I had I retweeted not. it. Yeah, I did. It not. was Dan Orlovsky and good. Uh, Marcus like, Spears and Ryan yep. Clark yep. and Amina uh, Kimes came in with a, a great stat as part of it. But they were talking about the difference between going under center versus playing out of the shotgun right. and how that's a, kind of a big thing in the NFL. And certain teams have had some issues with it because they get these quarterbacks that come out of college and they love shotgun. But then you get into the NFL and it makes it so much easier on the defense. And they were talking about not just from the offense perspective, but from the defender's perspective, the amount of things that he has to read when you're under center and how similar they look versus when you go to shotgun and how much easier all of a sudden those reads become because you're way less flexible in what you can call or what you can do and how you can disguise it. So Ryan Clark and Marcus Spears were just saying it just gives us so much more time to diagnose things. We're not worried about you running certain plays. So we feel like, okay, we can be a step late to this or a step late to that. And we're really able to still clog things up and diagnose it better. And then Mina Kimes came in with a stat. They said, you know, do you think there's any teams that could do a better job of this? And she said specifically the Bengals. And she went to their four games and laid out. They have gone up noticeably every game in terms of the percentage of snaps that they've gone under center. And it it seems to be no coincidence that the offense has done better every single game as a result. Something that I've been tracking with the Bengals or paying attention to is that percentage, the amount of times he's in the gun and how it's evolving over the season. So I actually went back and checked in week one, Joe Burrow was under center only 3.8% of the time week two, 16.7. 16.7. Week Ooh. 3, 22.8. Week mm. 4, 25.8. It is going up yeah. exactly because of what you described, which is they recognize the run game and the pass game need to look more like each other so yeah. we can get some of those tasty single high looks. Yeah. That's how you get those go balls to Jamar Chase coming back in this offense. This is <laughs> yeah, and that's a, there's a couple of things to unpack from that. One was, you, I mean, you remember the, 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 the narrative after that first game was – and I thought I, Zach Taylor took umbrage at this until I think he realized, you know, I think you guys are right, which was you're, you, you've got a big tell that when you're under center, you're going to run it. When you're in the shotgun, you're going to throw it. And um, I've always been a big believer in this and Joe Mixon, that Joe Mixon from the shotgun. I, I asked a couple, I asked a couple of coaches years ago um, when they used to be an I formation team. And I'm not, a, you know, I'm not back to the 1980s and going all I formation, but I was always a big believer that Joe Mixon doesn't run as well out of the shotgun as he does um, running downhill. Don't forget, the running back out of the shotgun, too, is going from a standing start, right? So when the quarterback's under center, he's got that head of steam and that, that concept of running downhill because he's got a head of head, head of steam to him. And and you, I, I've always thought Joe was way better at that. I think this offense is better with Joe Burrow under center because of the play action possibilities. Yeah, that's one exactly thing, what they were talking about was well, the play action the one, part of it. The one thing I will say, and I was talking to somebody about this yesterday uh, when we were watching practice, Joe doesn't like that. He loves the gun. He loves five right. wide. He loves that. Kind of, so now you're trying to marry what is our philosophy and works best for us 
and also what works best for our quarterback, who's our franchise quarterback. You're trying to marry those two things. And I will take up for Zach Taylor in this regard. I think some of this is on Joe Burrow, too, to go, dude, we're better when you're under center. I know you don't like it, but we're better when you're under center. We can do more things when you're under center. I know you don't like turning your back to the defense when we go play action game, but it creates all kinds of possibilities for us. And I'm not here to point a finger and say Joe Burrow's selfish. I think it's just that's what Joe's comfortable in because that's what he did great in college, and he was great in college at that. He's good when they go five wide. I think they, as a collective, including the running back, Joe Mixon, are better when Joe Burrow's under center. Yeah, and I think part of it's just the way the NFL works. Every step matters. Every little second that you can buy yourself, every little misdirection and way you can confuse the defense matters at this level. Dude, I think play action and bootlegs in the NFL are gold. I, I do. I, I just think it's so hard. It puts such stress on defenses, in my opinion, because the game is so fast that you have to honor that run action and take that step. And it just seems to open every dude. I would go third and one bootleg every time if I could, because I just think the defense is under so much stress to take the right first step that they never take that right first step. That's what that's exactly what they were saying too, And they were even just saying from the standpoint of uh, when you're in the shotgun, they can see the ball the whole time. Like, yeah, right. you put it is out that, there in right. the running back's gut, but they can see it the whole time, which is when you turn around and then you come out with an open arm, it's, it's really hard to tell. Did you hand the ball off or not? Right. But they said when you're in the shotgun doing that, it's just a thing that maybe makes us pause for a split second because we see you stick the ball out there. But again, we feel like we have that split second because we know you're not running the stretch play. We know you're not running this. We know you're not running that because you can't run it out of the shotgun the same way you could run it if you were under center. So I completely agree with you. And they were even making that point that a lot of these new young quarterbacks come out and they like playing out of the shotgun. Like Kyler Murray, I think, almost plays exclusively out of the I don't shotgun. Think he, I, I was going to say, I don't watch their games every snap, but it seems like every snap I watch him play, whenever that is, he's never under center. Yeah, so, I mean, I think it is a, a really big deal, and it's something that offensive coordinators and play callers are having to find, like you said, that marriage between, okay, your quarterback may be more comfortable doing this, and with a, a situation like Joe Burrow, you you almost understand it even more so because he's been hit so much in his career and he's been under so much pressure. That's like, you kind of understand why he doesn't like turning his back to his defense because he doesn't know where pressure's coming from and, and when it might get to him, you kind of get why he might want to be able to see everything at all times himself and just say, Hey, I'll rely on me making a decision right, fast right. enough to get it out. And, and I'll, I'll save myself that way. Yeah. But at the same time, it really limits you and makes it easier on the defense. Yeah. And I don't want to discount the, the running downhill concept of it either. There, I thought Jeremy Hill was the same guy. I always thought Jeremy was better out of the eye running because that's what he did at, at LSU. He was more comfortable running downhill with his eyes looking at blocking as opposed to taking that running or that, that standing start. I, I think those extra two or three steps for you're coming to the mesh point with the quarterback are big for a running back in a lot of circumstances. I think they're big for Joe Mixon, to be quite frank. Again, so if you, if you want to check it out on oh, Twitter, I, on I, my I, Twitter I, account, it's a really good segment. It's like eight minutes, but it's uh, worth the watch because yeah, they I do a good job were... breaking it down. And then Mina has that stat specifically about the Bengals. And she also mentioned that the situation with the Dolphins, how McDaniel has done a really good job of designing their offense and their routes for Tua to play out of the shotgun a lot. And they've, they've got so much speed that they've been able to make it work without going under center much. Yeah, and, and just one, one more point to, to this too is, um, look, I think the offensive line is getting better, and I think there's truth to, to, to what guys talked about after the game and Joe talked about the best protection he's had in that Miami game. 
But I also think there's the marriage of that too, where they did go under center more and they did have more play pass, play action passes. And that does slow a pass rush down. And as opposed to when you go five wide, or, you know, and, and in the gun, you're now putting all those guys in one-on-one situations and that puts more stress on them too. So yeah, I think they're getting better. But I think the fact that, again, you kind of married all this stuff on a Thursday night, I think all those things came together the right way. And, and um, I, I, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I do think the offensive line's getting better, but I think they're getting helped by Joe Burrow more under center and more potential runs from under center and more play action stuff that slows the pass rush down. All right, let's switch gears here. The Reds wrapped up their season on Wednesday with a 15-2 loss to the Cubs. The team finished 62-100, and 100, just one loss shy of the franchise record, set for losses in 1982. The team's attendance of just under $1.4 million is also the lowest since 1984. Skinny, where do we go from here with this team and this franchise? Where are you going to go from here? Right? Yeah, where, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? Um, so I've kind of, before I get to that, I, I so I, our boss, Mark Jusak, suggested we write the, I write the attendance story, and I thought it was a great story. I it was even more eye-opening for me when I started diving into the numbers a little bit, right? That this was obviously the lowest attendance. It was about a hundred and something thousand off of last year, even all those things. Here's the number that just hit home for me. And I don't know why, and maybe it won't hit home for you or the listeners the same way it hit home for me. So yeah, I look back to see, okay, what's the, what, when was the last time it was, it was lower and it was 84, as you mentioned, um, which is obvious. That's a, that's a pretty long time. But in 2015, which was when the Reds had the All-Star game, when they had the first purge, right, when they finally started to trade and they didn't get much back for the Johnny Cuetos and Todd Frazier's and Aroldis Chapman's, the Reds that season drew almost 2.5 million fans, Rick. So in a seven-year window, a seven-year window, they've lost 1.1 million fans. Think about that. That, I don't know why that number, maybe it doesn't hit home for you. Like it, it, it struck me in the face like, oh, my gosh, what have you done to these this fan base, guys? This is the lowest point I can recall Yes, for any of the franchises in my lifetime locally. I don't say that to be hyperbolic. I'm being serious about it. Like I can't recall a time where I felt more hopeless, depressed. I got pretty bad for the Bengals for a while there in the early 2000s while I was a kid. But this is... I mean, in terms of having no excitement, no reason to look forward to what's next, and honestly, no reason to want to based off of what right. the ownership group did this year. Right. I, I mean, really, I'm sitting here thinking this, the season's over. I'm honestly annoyed that we even have to, to talk about them for a few minutes here to recap the season. And I have uh, like they've got three young pitchers that look pretty talented and I have no reason to look forward to next year despite that no that's right so I'll, I'll put into a little bit more historical context um so the 82 teams the only other team to lose 100 games they lost 101 and that was coming off of a weird 1981 strike season when the Reds actually had the best record in the National League and didn't make the playoffs so it felt like kind of a one-off they they, they kind of turned the page in 82 to some young guys who all of a sudden you could tell weren't very good and, you know, 83 wasn't great, obviously. And as I mentioned, they bottomed out in attendance in 84. But 84, Pete came back as a player. 85, um, they had a bunch of young kids who you could all of a sudden tell they're going to be pretty good. And there was still a lot of buzz. And that was the year that Pete broke Ty Cobb's uh, hit record. And so there was buzz all year about that. So they had something to create the buzz. And suddenly, 
you know, 85, 86, 87, 88, they, they had really good teams. They finished second all those times, and uh, Pete couldn't get them over the hump. Then you had the bottoming out of, of Pete and the gambling in 89, and then suddenly 90, they win a World Series. And also, 82 wasn't very far removed from winning World Series titles in 75 and 76, going to the playoffs in 79. So you you still were kind of in all that honeymoon phase where, okay, yeah, this is kind of one of Rick, I, there, there is no honeymoon phase, or there's, there's nothing right now. They've lost, they've had losing records eight of the last ten seasons. The only two seasons they didn't were the previous two to this one, where they went 83 and 79, whoopee, and 31 and 29 in the COVID year, made the playoffs and bottomed out there. Um, so th- they're literally in the two winning seasons. There's six games combined over 500. Other than that, they have normalized losing. And yeah, we can point to okay, you hopefully got a bunch of good young dudes at the trade deadline, and Ellie De La Cruz is coming. What if they suck? Uh, you know, Jose Pereira was supposed to be a cornerstone, right? And, and he's nowhere to be found. He's terrible. And, and from everything I've heard, there's no real hope that he's going to be anymore. Correct. He Correct. can't hit at this level and, and never really could. So it, it feels like such a wasted year in general because, again, yes, you have those three young pitchers. And there is reason to think that they could develop into something. But where's the hope that you're going to put the team around them? Right. Yeah, you went out and you got a handful of prospects, but for the how, how close are any of those guys to making the show? You've got maybe one or two that could be up within the next year. Certainly not 2020. I mean, Ellie De La Cruz will probably be up in 2023 because we're going to need a shiny new piece to look at, and he probably is going to be close to ready to. I don't want to completely poo-poo that concept because the kid has done nothing but perform well as he keeps going up the charts. That's one guy. It's one guy. Yeah, and I mean, he looks incredible. He he, yeah. he will be enough reason to tune back in whenever he gets back up or whenever he does make his way up to the show. But he gets five at-bats a day. He doesn't get 27, which they probably need 27, 27 to 35 at-bats from, from you know, more guys like Ellie De La Cruz. Right, and, and we saw, honestly, we saw how long it lasts you this year when you, you watch Hunter Green every fifth day. Right. And right. say, okay, yeah, it's exciting for the first, you know, five, six starts that he makes. But once they're completely out of it, that's not enough to keep me watching games. Or no, make that, 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 that team, uh, I hate to do this because if it was a Reds fan listening, they're probably going to punch the computer and tell me to shut up. I'm glad they lost 100 games. I'm glad because that yeah. team deserved to lose 100 games. They really did. The exactly. organization deserved to lose 100 games. And I don't know if that's going to wake up this guy to sell the club or to finally pump money into it, but this ownership group is a freaking disaster. Well, and how do they ever – win the fans back over. I mean, they'd have the only to way is, 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 actually oh, win a World Series. I think. Yeah, the only way is is where's their Joe Burrow salvation, right? I mean, honestly, I wonder where the Bengals franchise would be if they hadn't gotten the salvation of Joe Burrow, right? That's true. Yeah. I mean, even even had they drafted Tua. Right. Where do you think things are right now? I don't think they're in the same situation. I don't think the sentiment around the city is near what it is. And I mean, yeah. God, how much how much were they helped? not just by making that Super Bowl run last year, but by the Reds doing what they did to start this year and, and turning off the fan base entirely. Well, but, but I think it shows you this, and, and I hate the term fair-weather fan because that's baloney in my mind. You, 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 you go where your heart takes you and where your wallet takes you and what you think that team does. You, you don't owe anybody a nickel. But I think what the Bengals have shown is give this area, this city, a winner. They're coming out. And, hey, Bob, you can completely continue to go, well, fans aren't coming. We can't spend – well, they're not coming because your ownership has been a disaster because you haven't figured out a way to build a ball club. You build a ball club that wins, they'll come out. Fans have shown that. They'll come out. But until then, they're saying to hell with you. And I don't blame I, – I, good, I get it. I get it. 
what that it, to me that's not being a fair weather fan either that like no. being a fair weather fan is whether you stop paying attention or whether you stop caring about your team it's not about whether you're willing to spend hundreds of your hard-earned dollars on going to experience it in person and continuing to support the trash that they're putting out on the field and i mean the, the what the reds have done over the last decade. Well, you, you, yeah decade really i mean you laid it out there pretty well with the dates um, and in terms of the attendance drop over the last seven years or whatever it is, it's pretty sad and despicable, quite honestly, for an ownership group. I mean, they, they've they have completely run this thing into the ground. And in terms of fan morale, it could not be any lower. Like I said, it, it is the lowest point I can recall for any of the franchises in my lifetime. And that's crazy to say, thinking about the era of Bengals football that I lived through. No, right. Um, and, and as goofy as it was for this year, um, I think next year's attendance could be less than a million. I really do. I agree. Cause what there's no point to even start like coming into this year, there was still the thought of they oh, damn near made the playoffs the year before. Right. So you're thinking, well, Hey, a couple things go well here. You got the young pitchers to watch. This could be an interesting year. And it turned into what it turned into. There's no reason to come to start next year. They didn't even bring up young kids to get us excited about No, right. for next year. So that's that's the biggest problem. It's such a waste because I don't even know what your plan is. Yeah, I'm glad you made the trades you did at the trade deadline, but that's a hard sell after the that's season really you just underwent. That's, that's a long time to wait. Yep. Yep. Especially when you have no cachet to back it up. Right. I mean, is there any chance because they don't have much money committed going forward? Is there any chance they can bring in short term mercenaries or something while they wait like a couple of. One or two year free agents. I think that'll be interesting to see that this off season, if they've determined um, we're going to continue with the young rebuild, um, please bear with us. Or if they say, listen, this is an unmitigated disaster. We got to spend. Well, and I don't think I'm not talking about like, we're going to move prospects and try to compete right now. I'm just talking about, we're not spending money on anybody right now. But do I want Tommy Pham and Donovan Solano and Mike Miner again? Do I want those guys again, or do I want no. qualified players? That, that's what I'm saying. Is there a guy, guy or two or three out there where they're bona fide players? They're not the best player available on the free agent market, but they're guys that, like you said, are a step up from the embarrassment that was this year's team. That okay, you spend a little money up front, knowing you're not committing long term dollars for when you're going to. Right. to be bringing up some of those younger prospects. I, I, I don't see that. I, I, I don't either, but I'll I'm be honest with you. I, I, I think I come to the public with the, please bear with us. I know this sucks right now. I apologize for all the things that we have done, but we feel we're on the track now of building this for the long term. 2023 is not going to be good. And if you decide not to come as a fan, I fully understand that. Um, but we, we're trying to do this. I don't, don't keep putting band-aids on this. I'll, I'll quote Billy Bean of the Oakland athletics. And I think he's right. in all the things he does, if, if you're not, listen, if you're not going to be a playoff contender, you might as well finish last and, and finish last with a low payroll and try to figure out where you're going to start from there. I, I think I'm a, I don't need 83 and 79 like two years ago. I don't, I, I don't need that. I don't want that. I, I either be a contender or build towards being a contender one day. And I, I think they're trying that. The thing that I don't have much faith in is I, I don't know if they know what the hell they're doing. I don't, Nick Crawl, I don't know if he knows what he's doing. I don't, I thought he did a great job at the trade deadline on paper, but did he? I don't know. Well, I'm just reading this as uh, as we record here. There's a press release coming in. It says uh, every other game next season will be a bark in the park night for the Reds. <laughs> 
So uh, that's that'll that'll probably keep people coming. Uh, all right, let's move on. College football time. Yes. AP top 25 poll. Ohio State remained at number three. Kentucky dropped six spots to 13. Cincinnati moved back up into the rankings. They're at 24 now. Let's start with UK. They had the game of the week, in my Ugh. opinion. Whatever fantasy land you might have been living in with the Cats, it came to a crashing end on Saturday, Skitty. They, they lost Ole Miss 22-19, lost two fumbles in this game, including one in the red zone on their final offensive play when Will Levis was hit from behind. At the time, I wasn't sure if it was actually a fumble. I thought I, I was either. a little surprised there wasn't a review. But Yeah, but but you could see it was clear, it clearly was a fumble. And obviously, the other part, though, was he did get hit helmet to helmet, and they blew the call on that. But yeah, yeah it yeah. was clearly a fumble when you saw it. Uh, exactly. And Stoops agreed as well. But uh, they also had some trouble stopping the run in this one, which I thought was a little bit of a concern for the defense. And the bigger problem for UK now is Will Levis might be out with a leg injury this week, or I guess an undisclosed injury, but it sounds like it, it is a, a leg injury of some sort. Uh, Skinny, what does this Will Levis injury mean for Saturday's game against South Carolina, in your opinion? South Carolina isn't very good, but. Yeah, I mean, he's. Getting Chris Rodriguez back and getting him going, and I thought that actually did rejuvenate the run game, I think was a step in the right direction. You know, you're right a little bit about the defense, but they gave up two touchdowns early and then all of a sudden locked in. And if you look from that point forward, the other eight points, two field goals, one that Stoops screwed up at the end of the half by um, by not taking a penalty that would have pushed them out of field goal range. And then two other points by safety. The defense was great over the final two and a half quarters, and it's been great for the most part all year. So you can still hang your hat on that defense, in my opinion. They may not have Jacquez Jones either, the linebacker. He got hurt in, in that game. But they also might get J.J. Weaver back, which is a, is a big addition. I still believe in that defense. Um, I think we saw steps in the run game. I think those young wide receivers, um, as long as you can throw it far enough, they're so fast they can run underneath it. Um, but I can't, I can't discount losing Will Levis because Will Levis has been, you know, 85% of this offense this year. That said, you also kind of needed more out of Will Levis in that game. I mean, he made a terrible decision after they got down to the six-yard line by trying to run to the line of scrimmage and run a play quickly when you had plenty of time. At that point in the game, time was never a factor any longer. It was a matter of getting into the end zone or at least preserving a field goal to force overtime. I think he blew that. And I think if you saw Mark Stoops, I, I didn't read comments after the game about this, whether he was asked about this, but it was almost like he was pointing the clock like, Time wasn't a factor. Why are we rushing? You didn't need to rush. Let your guys get set. Um, and then Will needs to take care of the football, too. Um, so, yeah, you need more. If you're a first-round first top-five draft pick, I need more out of you in that situation. That's what great quarterbacks do. So that was disappointing. But, yeah, I think they can get through the next couple of weeks if it comes to that. Um, you know, I, I said this on a Lexington radio station. I do a, a hit on Mondays. I, you know, I said I don't want to be complete Pollyanna. Um, but you still have your season in front of you because you still have Georgia coming. If you can somehow stay unscathed, and I don't know if they can because Tennessee's really good. If you can somehow stay unscathed till Georgia, suddenly Georgia looks more mortal than we thought they were. You got them coming to your building. You beat them. You both have one loss in the, in the division. Guess who gets the tiebreaker? You do because you beat them head up. You still can go to the SEC championship game. You still have that chance. Yeah, in theory, that's still available. I thought the argument you were making before was a lot more compelling and enticing for me to buy into if I was a UK fan of get into that Georgia game undefeated, play them tight, and then have them pound Alabama the next week in the right. SEC championship. Right. Then if that happens, what do you do if you're right. the committee from a college football playoff standpoint? 
But Georgia, think, the thing is, Georgia looked immortal again for the first three weeks, right? Like, well, oh God. Uh, yeah. And all of a sudden, the last two weeks, it's like, whoa, people are putting up 20 points on them, and they almost lose to Missouri. And listen, that's the human nature of sports sometimes, too, but they look way more mortal than I thought they were. Well, and that's I, I wanted to ask you about that. I was going to bring it up last, but since you mentioned it, do you think that Georgia is more beatable than everyone seemed to originally think after seeing them the last two weeks, or do you think – it was a wake up call of sorts that they're maybe a little bored. They had to run last year. They're, they're hearing how great they are again to start this year. Do you think they just got a little sloppy for a few weeks here and they will get back to dominating again? I, I believe in sloppy for a week. And I thought that was the, the case in the Kent state game the week before when they gave up 22 to a Mac team. Um, Missouri's not very good. And so then you follow up what should have been your wake up call. And I know Missouri was on the road and that's a factor too. You follow that up with what you did with Missouri. It makes me think you are more mortal. Um, I mean, they were down by 10 in the fourth quarter. And obviously the pollsters, and not that they mean anything, they obviously thought the same thing because they flip-flopped them and Bama. Um, And this is only a couple weeks after Bama survived the Texas game, right? So Texas or other Bama all of a sudden looks immortal again. And Georgia doesn't. And Ohio State's starting to look semi-immortal too. Um, But yeah, I... I didn't think Kentucky had a great puncher's chance against Georgia. Now I'm starting to think that they do. But again, I'm asking for them to get through the Tennessee game too, and that's that's still a big ask. Yeah, that, that's going to be tough. I, and Georgia and Georgia and Tennessee still have to play. So you know, where where might that game go? Hell, Tennessee might be the best team in this division for all I know. I don't think they are, but I don't think they, they might are be. Either. Missouri, I mean, if they would have pulled that off, that would have been such a huge favor to the rest of the college football. Twenty eight and a half point underdogs. Yeah, it just. This year feels like we really need yes. Georgia or Alabama or ideally both to lose a game here. That yeah. would that would really make things a little bit more interesting. I don't, I don't see anybody in that West beating Alabama. Both of them had a chance to lose already this year. I mean, a real chance to lose, and uh, somehow they, they were able to escape. So, you know, get back to the UK game, though. The one thing that really works in their favor here with the South Carolina matchup is that defense for South Carolina has allowed over 200 yards rushing to Arkansas, Georgia, and Georgia State. Right. If there was ever a game that you were going to be ground and pound the entire time, this is the right matchup for it. Yeah, and I think you saw, like I said, I I, I was leery of whether Chris Rodriguez would make that much of a difference in the run game, and I thought he did. Yeah, he definitely adds a level of consistency to it. All right, let's move on to UC, where the Bearcats just keep rolling skinny. They ran all over Tulsa in a 31-21 win Saturday. LSU transfer Corey Kiner had 12 carries for 106 yards and a touchdown. The only weird thing about this UC team is they continue to commit a lot of penalties. They had 11 of them for over 100 yards in this one. Uh, Is that a bit of a concern for you, Skinny, or is that more of one of those things where if they keep winning games and they're still making those mistakes, you – you're pretty confident Luke Fickle will clean all that up. Yeah, that's the thing. I think I'm more confident that Luke Fickle cleans all that stuff up. I, I, I said it last week in the betting segment. For whatever reason, Tulsa's just a weird matchup for them. I don't know what it is, why it is, how it is. It just is. Um, you know, they also, though, got after the quarterback. They had 11 sacks, which is the most in, in FBS since 2019, tied for a conference record with those 11 sacks. Um, what don't they do well? They run it. They throw it. They throw it deep. They hit big plays. They get after the quarterback. They stop the run, and especially in the AAC, dude, they're going eleven and one. I mean, they're going eleven and one. They're going to play in a, in a New Year's Bowl again. Uh, they look really good. Yeah, the sacks is a, a great point. That was 
ridiculous watching their defense get after the quarterback. It was nonstop, especially as the game got late. There I will say, Tulsa I'm sorry. Trying to make a comeback. Yeah, I'm sorry for this, UC fans. I am glad I built Tulsa up to 10 and a half in real life. Oh, good call by you. Because I think I got it at nine and a half. Yeah, it was nine and a half. I bet it up to 10 and a half. Yeah. Well, it worked out good for both of us then. I had UC at nine and a half. We, we middled it. We did a good job middling <laughs> yeah. it. All right. Uh, on to Ohio State which the Buckeyes won a meaningless game over Rutgers 49 to 10. It was completely boring yes, until until fight. we had the the moment of the weekend when Greg Schiano and Ryan Day got each other's faces after the fake punt. Did you see that? I did. I, I actually absolutely saw that. So a couple things at work here. A, that, you know, I believe Ryan Day that the fake was not called, that the punter just yeah. saw an automatic and took off. Which, by the way, they were up 39 with nine minutes and 30 seconds to play, ran a fake punt, got it. Then there was a late hit on the punter out of right. bounds, and that set off the, the right. two teams leaving the sidelines, and Greg Shiano and Ryan Day had a point off. I think Greg Shiano's a douchebag. I just do. <laughs> and listen, I I don't know why. I've always thought that. I've thought that back from when he coached Rutgers the first time around. I don't think you're wrong. Um. I mean, they are horrifyingly bad. Uh, you know, I, I read a couple of columns in, in in New York papers and New Jersey papers about what a what a what a drain Rutgers athletics is on the finances of that university. It's embarrassing the the, the financial drain because it, it's almost like why are you hiring this guy for this amount of money for a crappy program again? You're spending all. Did you read the? You, have you seen the Uber Eats story about them having spent like seven hundred and fifty grand during during? Uh, preseason camp to get kids food as opposed to having a training table. I mean, come on, do we you really gotta need be kidding me? No, I'm not. It's insane. So anytime anybody can pound Greg Shiano alias douchebag and, and, and do it in a, in that kind of good, good, go do it. Just go do it. Um, you know, the both coaches said the right things afterwards that it wasn't personal and they both have respect for each other. Oh, they're friends, that. close and, friends. And listen, listen, I do get, and listen, the one thing I will say is I get Greg Shiano. He's taken up for his players. It felt like you're rubbing it in. My player, yeah, he got a late hit, but I'm going to take up for him. And then Ryan Day, to his credit, he's taking up for his guys. And I don't think it was a cold fake punt. Like, you know, you get a kid in the heat of battle, you you have an automatic call sometimes, and sometimes it's a kid going, huh, nobody's going to rush me here. Eh, might as well just take off. Um, and he's having some fun with it. He doesn't understand the, the the ramifications of it. Bottom line is, honestly, Ohio State looked like crap for most of that game. C.J. Stroud looked like crap, and they still won by 39. Thanks to Winton Woods product, Mayan Williams, five touchdowns. Yeah, that was ridiculous. 189 yards, five touchdowns. Yeah. And, and, he and was the back, crazy. Technically he's the, yeah, technically he's the backup, right? Come on. Right. Yeah. Well, they're both really good, too. I mean, they've they got are. crazy speed in that backfield, which the offense, by the way, now ranked number one overall in the country, averaging 48.8 points per game. Still short of what I said. I said 50. You, you did say 50. That's right. They're close, though. They're closing they're close. in quick. Yes. Uh, by the way. I'm not buying into the Greg Schiano sticking up for his guy thing. Like you don't get to get mad because the other team executed part of the sport against you. Right. I don't care what the score is. Who cares? Go cry about it. You're losing. Get stops. You don't get to get mad because the other team is better than you. I hate that. I hate when people are like, oh, it's bad sportsmanship. Shut up. Play the game. If you can't stop us, you don't get to whine about it. Don't start taking cheap shots and don't come over point your finger. And also, I think there should be a rule that you shouldn't be allowed to come in between coaches when they're arguing or fighting <laughs> on the field. It's fine to separate the players, but if two millionaires want to get after it or Juwan Howard wants to smack Gret Gard upside the head or whatever, let it happen. I want to see that. That, that, that would have been interesting. Yes. All right. Uh, anything else from a college football standpoint locally or nationally before we move on? 
Um, trying to think. No, not really. I, 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 I guess I will say this. I do, and maybe you don't find this as interesting as I do. It is interesting that we've gotten all these midseason coach, or not even midseason, these in-season coach firings, right? Yeah, what is that about? Because I don't, I don't, know. I don't think it's a huge advantage to do that, right? I don't now. either. So that's what I'm trying to figure out. What, what, what doing here? Other than they, uh, one thing we know about college institutions is they love to pay buyouts. So maybe it's they're insane. just trying to get to it quicker so they can just start feeding that money and. Sure. I like they, they just, just that's the thing that's so annoying about all this. We sit there, we complain about all the oh my god, players making money is going to ruin the sport, nil is going to ruin the sport, transfer portal is going to ruin the sport. You know what's ruining the sport? Buyouts. You guys continuing to pay these terrible coaches all this money up front, then firing them after a couple of years because you have donors that are unrealistic, and maybe the coach stunk to begin with, which is. Certainly the case in a lot of these instances. That's on you as the AD then, bro. You made the wrong hire, but two, you don't even have enough patience to see most of them out anyway. And then you're just so willing to pay this guy his buyout and then commit a hundred million guaranteed to the next guy, which you're also going to have to buy out. It's like they're so bad at managing money. If they were a professional franchise, they'd be absolutely screwed. But fortunately for them, they just print money and they don't have to pay their their talent. So the the Derek Mason at Michigan State buyout and he's not been fired yet and he's not going to be fired anytime soon. But the buyout for him is insane. The guaranteed money for him is insane for a guy who, yeah, he had a really good year last year and they had a really good year last year. And that's all well and good. But he didn't have a great track record as a head coach coming into that. And all of a sudden, one year gets him whatever that. Remember that? It was like 95, isn't that 95 mil guaranteed or some kind I, of ridiculous figure. Yeah, I thought you're talking and about Mel suck. Tucker at Michigan I'm State. I'm sorry, Mel Tucker. Why did I say Derek Mason? Mel Tucker, I'm sorry. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I, that's what I thought. I, he got 100 million guaranteed, I thought, or, okay, or I said close, very close yeah, to I, it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's just, just silly stuff. Stupid. I mean, for a guy that wasn't even really that good before he got to Michigan State, he has one year where they're not the laughing stock of the Big Ten. And you guarantee him all that money, and now and you're going to have to buy him. That, right. It wasn't like Mark D'Antonio stunk over his career. They had good teams at Michigan State. They are what they are. They're a, in a good year, 10 and 2, and in an average year, they're 8 and 4, 7 and 5. Mel Tucker's not changing that. No. All right. Let's switch gears here to college basketball, real quick, before we get into our betting segment. Cincinnati had the news of the week as they landed four star point guard Jizzle James on Tuesday night, which is just. All-name team. You can't deny that. He is the number 64 player in the 2023 class, according to 24-7 Sports, and is the son of NFL Hall of Famer Edron James. James joins Ravon Griffith as UC's two commits in the 2023 class so far. Those two both rank in the top 10 all-time for UC commits since that stuff has been tracked. That's crazy. What do you make of the recruiting class Wes Miller's putting together here? Yeah, I've... I've not seen Rayvon enough. I saw him as a freshman and sophomore. I talked about him still trying to figure out, you know, what does his game translate to the college level? But obviously he's highly thought of, and obviously so is Edron James's his son. So um, obviously on paper, it's it's, it's two good gets. Um, good for them. I did like our, a tweet from our friend Jed Demusi that thought that Jizzle James should have wound up at Navy as a seaman. <laughs> that's that's what Jed does, the low-hanging fruit. What Jed does, but I thought it was I, I kind of I kind of winked and nodded at that. No, I mean Rick, I mean you know you know recruits better than I do. I just you know when we're talking stars and all that stuff. Bottom line is, in that regard, Wes Miller's done a great job, right? Well, and this was the the thing that everybody wanted Mick to do differently. Fans wanted Mick to swing for the fences occasionally and try to get that 
top 50, top 75 type prospect. And Mick was more, I think, because they were in the American and because he felt they had some facilities upgrades that they needed to make to, to catch up to some of the other teams in the sport that were recruiting at that level was more of the opinion of just tell me who I can get right. and I'll coach them up. Now, I will say in, 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 in for Wes Miller, you would hope you would hope, and certainly Xavier's in the mix for this, that you don't lose a hometown kid. And I think that, that Mick, if, if Rayvon Griffith, he was still UC, would have swung for Rayvon Griffith as well. You, you, you don't yeah. want to lose the hometown kid if you can't. Yeah, but I mean, they, they've had kids. I don't know if you'd say necessarily are always hometown kids, but they've certainly just not even tried in the past on local-ish, regional-ish yeah, Cumberland. guys. Cumberland. Yeah, I'm not saying they've never gotten one. I'm just saying there have been plenty of guys around here, uh, molar kids, all, all types of prospects around this area, and not just this area, but nationally, who, you know, assistant coach might be recruiting. And then UC just pulled out while Mick was right. pulled out on Jizzle James. That would have been a good one. That's but good. They, yeah, thank you. Mick would pull out recruiting these kids because he felt that they were higher profile than what UC was going to be able to land. And I think there was always the argument to be made that UC, you're not going to win all of them. In fact, the way it works in recruiting is you're going to miss on most of those guys. But if you hung with it and recruited talented players, you would start to land some of them and you would be able to recruit at a, a similar level to what some of the other schools I would say UC and Xavier are kind of at that similar level. I think there are a handful of others you could name. And UC was probably at the back of that pack in terms of the, the rankings of their prospects that they were landing. So Wes Miller is up that he is taking those shots at trying to, to land these high profile guys. And they're in on a couple of other huge ones. I mean, Isaiah Collier, the number one player in the class is still out there and UC seems to be in the mix for him. There's a big man, Flory, Flory Badinga that they just hired Drew Adams uh, from Indiana Elite and uh, the Adams A-Hope program that they've been doing for years and funneling those African kids to Indiana for all those years. Uh, when Tom Going back to the Tom Crean days, they just hired him on staff to bring in this Flory Bodinga kid who's a top three player class. Top just, three. Hired him just hired him yesterday, right? Or did they promote him yesterday? Yeah, they just hired him uh, yeah. yesterday or the day before. And, and uh, you know, Flory Bodinga is a top three player in the 2024 class and they're talking about him reclassifying to 2023 potentially. So, I mean, you're talking about an unprecedented class for UC basketball. You'd have to go back to the Huggins days when he was landing like the Jermar Johnsons and those types of players to find classes that were of this level. And your Don prospects Tony had Don, in general. Yeah, D'Antonio Wingfield and, and that. Yeah. I mean, no, no question. Yeah. Hey, I, I got to ask you, cause you're, you're like, who, who is this seven, three unicorn everybody's talking about? Well, that's actually uh, asking anything question that we oh, okay. had. I was uh, okay. Victor Wembenyama, who uh, that's it. I, I I knew his name. I couldn't think. I couldn't think of it. Yeah, he put on a show the other night. They the the they had that French team that played the the G League teams, and he is. Did you watch any of them? Did you see? I, any I of did. That? I did not. I I I read a piece about him in the Athletic, and and actually I saw a quote as well. Who's the number two recruit? Scoot somebody. Yeah, uh, he um, he was in that game too. Is it Scoot Pen? What's his name? I'm Scooty Pen. I think it's Pen. It's Scoot something, right? Henderson. Yeah. Thank you. And the and the the the, the Imayama Wamba, whatever his name is, said, "I think he's a really good player. It's just unfortunate he was born the same year I was." <laughs> I thought that was great. The crazy thing about it is, you know, we've had the Porzingis, then yeah. we had Chet Holmgren. I I I played cards with a bunch of coaching buddies of mine who are just 
into this recruiting stuff way more than I am and, and, and along your lines. And we were talking about him last night. And I said, yeah, this, I, I've heard this with Porzingis and guys. They're like, no, dude, this guy is completely different. Completely Every different. time you think we've seen the unicorn of unicorns where it's like, oh, they're so tall and fluid and can shoot and handle. Then you just see another guy that's even more fluid and more skilled. Th- this one skinny, it's it's ridiculous. Now, the only no, they, thing they you always same, wonder said, is. They said the same thing to me, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I, I'll believe it when I see it. And they're like, well, you need to see it. I said, okay, I believe yeah. you. But I, I mean, he hit seven it. threes in this game the other night as he scored like 37 Same. points or whatever. He said he's just fluid doing everything. Oh, yeah, he's so athletic and fluid. He's coming off screens and fading away. That, and, no, that was what they said. They're like, he comes off curls like a 6'5 guard. I'm like, come on. It's it's come crazy. On. I mean, you, you got to watch the highlights if you if nothing else. But the problem is, again, you go back to it with him being 7'3", you just worry about the injury thing. Yeah, right. No, right. You know? I mean, like Chet, like Chet Holmgren, we, you know, I know he's your guy, and I and he got hurt right away. Now hurt. that that was an unfortunate circumstance that playing was. in the summer league game no, and was. too crowded Still. and stuff like that could happen to anyone. But these these tall guys just seem to have that propensity to get hurt. No, no doubt. But uh, going back to UC real quick, I will yeah. say the one thing about this this class they're putting together all of a sudden is it makes you pretty excited for what the crosstown shootout rivalry could be no question. again in the near future. I mean, no Xavier has a great 2023 class. You got Jizzle James and Trey Green, the point guard that Xavier landed. Those two guys are ranked pretty similarly in this class. So that's going to be a fun matchup to see how those two guys develop at the respective schools. But uh, yeah, I think with Sean Miller and Wes Miller, you have the crosstown shootout headed back to a, a prominent place in the college basketball landscape. Yep. The, the one thing I would say about this class, too, for UC is might need some shooting. I, I mean, Rayvon, I, not really a knockdown no, shooter, right. and that's that, definitely that, not Jizzle James's game. He's a non-shooter. He's a yeah. get into the lane and make plays for you type guard. That feels any more, to be quite frank, like the transfer portal guys to me. Yeah, and that's what I mean, that's what you would assume is probably next year, but definitely the year after, I would say they're going to be hard up looking for uh, a ready to plug and play shooter. Yeah. And then over on the Xavier side of things, we talked about Zach Freeman last week. He was indefinitely suspended to start preseason practices. Oh, we never do. And this this week, he's back with the team. He returned to action on Tuesday. Any thoughts on the return of Zach Freeman? Um, I hope he gets his act together because I got a feeling the tether is very short at this stage, right? Yeah. He looked good. I will say that. Good. I watched him practice good. and uh, I, definitely, definitely seems like the dude is a skilled offensive player. I don't know what else he does, but I think he's an extraordinarily skilled offensive player. Yeah, well, I do think he's a better rebounder than what he showed last year. And the defensive thing has been a problem throughout his career, obviously. But there's no doubt now in my mind after seeing him the last couple of days that the stress fracture that he had last year and the surgery and getting is behind him back late. I think that w- that really did hold him back physically yeah, a little fair, bit because he fair, looked fair. a lot quicker, a lot uh more springy, I guess, is the the word I would use. Getting off the floor, getting up for rebounds, those types of things. Just the last couple of days, to where I'm like, okay, I do think he wasn't quite right last year physically. Yeah. I guarantee you we're going to talk about this as the season progresses. But can you play him and Nunji together in any way, shape, or form? Uh, we're I, they're going to have to because they clearly so don't too. have more talent behind them. Those are obviously their two most talented front court pieces. Uh, that that hasn't changed at all after what I've seen the last few days. I feel pretty confident in that. So they're going to play together. And supposedly when they looked at all the advanced metrics and everything from last year, 
they feel they're more efficient than the rest of the world did watching them. So we'll see what happens with that, but that's definitely going to be a topic of conversation throughout the season. Go to, go to some old school Jim, Jim Beheim two, three zone on the other end of the floor. Yeah. Well, I think one thing you're going to see and something that Sean Miller's big on is getting more efficient shots around the basket, especially with a guy like Jack Nungy. So I think you're going to see a lot of pounding the ball inside and, think, and using high, Zach's, low stuff. Yeah. I think, as I say, I think Zach's post up game is good. I think you can go high, low with either one of them. Yeah, definitely. So I, th- I think you're going to see them try to do that. Uh, and, and I do think they'll play a lot together. All right, let's get into the betting segment. Last week, you were three, four, and one. We had a push on the Ohio State Rutgers total of 59. Well, right. I was five, two, and one. Uh, wow. so you are now 20, 17, and one. I am 21, 16, and one. Got, right. got you by okay. a game we're, again. We're still above the, the, the line of demarcation, though. That's right. Uh, just real quick, Skinny, if you've been a homer this year and you've been betting the local teams, who do you think is the best local team against the spread? Right I would now? say, I would now, I'd say Kentucky. You would be right. They are four and one yeah, against they the lost spread the, right they, now. They lost the Northern Illinois game, and I actually bet against them because they were given 25 and a half, and that just seemed like a weird number to me. Yep. If you were, if you were to just take all the homer picks so far this year, bet on all the local teams, Against the spread, what do you think you'd be right now record-wise to this point? Bengals, Bearcats, Wildcats, and Buckeyes. All right, so are we using UC's line as nine and a half from last week, if that's the case? Uh, I believe that is what we had last week, yes. I would say, I would say, hang on, I'd say, I'd say 10 and four. I should give you the the number of games, I guess. That was unfair of me to yeah, do. Yeah, no, I was trying to do that. Uh, nine, 19 games total. Nine, oh, you're right. Nine, you're right. So hang on. I'd say 14 and five. 10 and nine. Really? 10 and nine. Yeah, it's wow. closer. Uh, but you would be above 500. You wouldn't yeah. be showing a profit necessarily, but uh, you would be. Uh, above 500 there. What do you think about over-unders? If you had just bet overs or under, what do you think it's played out to be? I'm going to say, I'm going to say the under is 10 and nine. 11 and eight. Very close. Okay. There you go. So just, just a few facts there. If you've been wondering how the local teams are shaping up Bengals, by the way, Oh, and four. Well, oh, I, I forgot. I wasn't factoring the bank. I was just doing the college teams, right? I wasn't factoring the bank. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Bengals, uh, four and O to the under, by the way, they haven't hit an over yet this year. Wow. Uh, Bearcats are four and one the other way. They've, they've yep. uh, only had one under. So, uh, and then Kentucky one and four, only one over four unders. So there are some, uh, different trends developing here as we continue. Uh, we'll start Saturday at 2.30 p.m. We've got South Florida at Cincinnati. The Bearcats are a 27.5-point favorite. The total is 59.5. It's a big number. Any t- I just, but at South Florida is just so, so bad. They're so They're bad. They're so bad. I'll go UC 48-13, to 13, so UC and the over for me. I'm on the same thing here and, and very similar score. I'm going 45 to 17. So I'll take UC in the over as Ooh, well. Oh, you got to sweat it though with the half. You're, that that low hanging half. Yeah, it, it was right there. This was a tough game to predict because South Florida is so bad. Terrible. But the that number is really big too. So it was uh, tough to figure out. But I, I I'm I'm on the same side as you. Saturday 4 p.m. We've got Ohio State at Michigan State. Just another god awful team. The Buckeyes are a 27-point favorite. The total is 65. I'm not so sure that Michigan State isn't worse than Rutgers, Skinny. 
Yeah, I don't think they're worse than Rutgers. It ain't this far is, off. This is Ohio State's first road game, which bothers me a little bit. I, I'm actually going to take Michigan State to cover. I'll go Buckeyes 42-17. to 17. All right, so you That's are on OSU and the under here. Yeah. I like the under as well. Um, I went 45-13, so I'm going Ohio State to just cover and the under there. And that brings us to Saturday at 7.30. You've got South Carolina at Kentucky. The Wildcats are a six-point favorite. The total is 46 and a half. Yeah, what'd you say? Six point favorite? Six point favorite. Now. That, that it, line has changed because it think started Kentucky, at 10 and a half, and, I yeah, believe. Yeah, I think that's what I was going to say. It started double digits for sure. Yeah, a lot um, of these lines have shifted pretty big over the course of the week. Yeah, um, that's obviously Will Levis driven, right? Yep. Um, yep. But I, I still think that Spencer Rattler bothers me. He throws too many interceptions and makes too many bad decisions. I think he's going to give Kentucky a couple of gift wrap, easy touchdown drives, if not a pick six. I'll go Kentucky 31-13. I, I, I think they dominate with their defense. Kentucky in the under for me. Yeah, you're on Kentucky in the under. I'm on the same thing here, actually. So we're got uh, all the same picks so far. I'm, yeah, it Kentucky, is what it is. Yep, Kentucky 24, South Carolina 13. And I, I had every intention of picking against Kentucky going into this game. But then you get there and you see it's down to only six points. Right. And South Carolina is so bad, and you see what their run defense has done this year. It's like even if Kentucky doesn't want to throw the ball at all in this game without Will Levis, they might just be able to win running it with Chris Rodriguez and, and get an interception or two on defense. Mark this down. Spencer Rattler will gift wrap two, two plays for them. Yeah, exactly. It's like you get two of those, you can run the ball the whole game and just win yep. it. You don't even have to worry yep. about it. So I, I do like the under here big time. I think Kentucky will try to – uh, cut down this game with the, the run game and, and bleed some clock out. All right, Sunday night, 8.20 p.m. We've got Bengals at Ravens. Ravens are a three-point favorite. The total is 48 and a half. I don't want to be a homer here. I I, I I just, Baltimore blown those two leads at home. I can't get that visualization out of my mind. And the fact of what Lou Anarumo did to them last year um, with uh, defensively, and he's, I, 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 the thing I will tell you is, if there's any unit I believe in more in the AFC North, it's the Bengals' defense. I could I could argue Lamar, but Lamar hasn't put the two games away Lamar could have put away. Um, I could probably argue the Browns' run game I believe in, but I'm going to go the just unit wise. The Bengals' defense is what I believe in, and I I think they'll they'll go there and and, and get the outright win. I'll go Bengals 24-21. So Bengals in the under for me. All right, Bengals and under there for you. Uh, by the way, Bengals I mentioned four and zero on unders this year, so I'm I'm not straying away from that. I'm going to continue riding the Bengals under train here, especially at forty eight and a half. I'm I I said earlier that I think the Bengals are the best team in the AFC North, and I do, but I'm going to try to not make the homer pick here and just know, just say it's a good spot for the Ravens. They're yeah, at I home. They're coming off the loss. I like Ravens 21, Bengals 17, so they just cover that three-point spread and it stays under. All right, favorite bet of the week, Skinny, what do you got? Um, It is Arkansas. Who are they playing? They're getting eight points at Mississippi State. It, it, was, it was over. Yeah, Arkansas at Mississippi State. Arkansas getting eight, I believe. If you want to double-check that, you can. Okay. I, I trust you. 
So you've got Arkansas. I'm going with Oregon minus 13 at Arizona. I think Arizona is just bad. terrible. Oregon did not play well last week. No, that's a good call. That's, uh, that's a good one. But I, I think this Oregon team is actually pretty good. So uh, that is my play there. Let's do some Ask Skinny Anything. Let's do it. Uh, our guy Jed had a question. I'll try to explain this the best I can. All right, please try. With the way baseball postseason is set up now, you have three division winners and three wild cards in both leagues. Top two seeds get a bye, meaning the third division winner has to participate in the wild card round. The higher seed in the wild card round gets to host all the games, but Jed doesn't think that's enough for the division winner because the highest seeded wild card team also gets that advantage. His solution is that if the division winner wins the first game of the three game series in the wild card round, then the series should be over. Do you like it? No, no. I hate the one game playoff. I, 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 Best two of three isn't isn't ideal, but obviously you can't play this thing out until December because they're trying to get this thing. It feels like to December. No, I you got to at least play best two of three at least. I would agree with you. What do you say to Jed's idea that there's not enough of an advantage for the division winner that has to play in the wild card round? Do you see any merit to that or um, ha- have a better regular season and be the one or two seed? Exactly. That's how hard is that? That's what I don't understand. It's like. Yeah, they don't like, get that benefit I, because they're not one of the top two seeds. I always like him thinking outside of the box, which is one of my favorite things about Jed. But in this case, you're, you're overthinking this, bro. Well, you know what this is. He's a Guardians fan. Correct. No, correct. Yeah. By the way, they only drew like 1.4 million fans, which stuns me because usually Cleveland, when they win, is they turn out in droves and they didn't. That's yeah, not ideal. No. Uh, Skinny, do you care about Aaron Judge hitting 62 home runs? I do in the macro because I still think it's phenomenal and he's doing it without his head swelling up to the size of a basketball or a pumpkin like Barry Bonds. In theory. But the one thing that, that, that they tried to sell us on throughout all of this was him setting the American League record. Who and cares? I got to be quite frank. That does nothing for me anymore because the sport's so damn homogenized and you're homogenizing it even more next year when everybody's playing everybody. So don't give me the leagues. The leagues are married now and, I don't like it. I'm, I'm the one that liked the DH in one league and the non-DH in the other, at least to differentiate in some of those things and playing teams inside your division 18 times. I love that kind of stuff. That That's what differentiated. But you've stopped differentiating, so don't try to sell me on the American League record. I just go by the Major League record. And, yes, Pumpkinhead said it, and we can argue whether he deserves it or he deserves an asterisk. It is what it is. 73 is the number. If Aaron Judge was at 72 and getting to 73, I'll buy in and, and care um, I do think it's a hell of an accomplishment. Don't get me wrong. His season was ridiculous. If you look at all the numbers he did uh, from run scored to RBI batting in the leadoff spot to the home runs to even stolen bases uh, to his OPS. I mean, everything is just off the charts and he's a, he's a great talent and 62 is a big number uh, 33 more than Mike Trout, who was next, I think with 39 home runs that are 23 more rather. That's a hell of a differentiator, but don't try to sell me on this American league record nonsense. Don't care. So it- 62 home runs and the season he had is incredible, but acting like the rec there is a record being set or being right. broke and breaking into broadcast the entire time. I just don't understand. Like, here's the thing, major league baseball. If, if you want to act like the old record doesn't exist because of the steroid error, or you want to celebrate a new home run champion, then have the guts to do that. Right. Say, say the old ones don't count anymore. Yeah, I'm don't, fi- don't, don't, if if don't you want to do that, I don't, don't, I wouldn't agree. But don't do this stuff where it's like we we acknowledge we let the the steroid era happen. We acknowledge it as our record holders. 
but now we're going to try to make you care about a non-record? Right. Well, they try to make us care that it's an American League which, record. Right, sorry, which is care. a non-record. I mean, no sorry, one cares. Care. Yeah, sorry, don't yeah. care. Yeah, I, and, and also, I I am not buying that his home run ball is worth $2 million. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I'm kind of with you. I was like, well, who, that, what, who the hell really wants that that bad? That, that's, what, that's what the market supposedly bears for it. That's what they're talking about. I know. I'm just not buying it. I, I think it's you. all I'm it's a uh, big memorabilia is conspiracy here for that. I <laughs> I'm not buying that. That's who cares about Aaron Judge's 62 home run. I mean, like care in the sense that it'd be cool to have if you're a big Yankees fan or if you're Aaron Judge himself. But someone that's just like a collector paying two million dollars for that for the American League record. Rick, who has who has the American League record for most hits? Ichiro? Well, I'm at most hits all time. I, I don't know. I think it's still Ty Cobb, but bottom line is okay. that's my point though. Nobody cares. We know we know yeah. who the all-time hit leader is, it's Pete Rose. I know who the all-time home run guy is, it's Barry Bonds. Again, you want to put an asterisk by it? Fine. You want to take it off the record book? Fine. But that's the record to me. That's the record that, that, that's the that's the record of record. If we approach that number, come talk to me about a record. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. It's like, I, I'm not against people being into this. If you're a Yankees fan or if you're genuinely into baseball, you think it's an incredible season, by all means, make as big of a deal as you want about it. But Major League Baseball and ESPN trying to force this thing. And, and well, I, I I guess I didn't mind the cut ins because I did. I wanted to see if he could do 60. Really? Yeah, it didn't bother me. Well, I'm here's not, the thing I don't but, understand. But, but why I are you, like doing why are you injecting into like random Midwestern college football games where clearly those two fan bases watching are not going to care at all. I will say it annoyed the daylights out of my wife as we were watching the Kentucky game. It's it's stupid. It annoyed, it annoyed anyone that was there to watch the football for the most part. I, I just, I, I I do not understand this. She asked me at one point, cause they had a full screen up and I'm a big channel flipper as you can imagine. Right. Um, she goes, did you do this? I go, no, it's the, they're in a commercial. She goes, give me the clicker. I said, trust me. I didn't, <laughs> It's it's I'm on the Kentucky game. So then they went to double box. She goes, what is this? I go, you're just going to have to grin and bear it for a minute, sister. It's OK. They'll get back to the game in a second. Have you ever showed her the red zone channel? Uh, yeah, she sees me flipping through the red zone channel. Oh, really? Make her or, lose or Dude, I watch, that's literally I did not watch the two local broadcasts on Sunday. I literally had, so nobody was in the house but me on Sunday, which is always a good thing for me, me and the dogs. Um. I left red zone channel on from one o'clock until I had to go do TV at seven. I mean, I don't, I, I it, it was Nirvana. I did the same thing. I always take it for granted. I tweeted about this, that it's like during the season when the Bengals play on a Sunday, that's what I'm focused on. Uh, if I'm either doing something socially, like going to watch it with people or just, we're going to do a podcast. So that's the game I'm concentrated on. And then afterwards, you know, in the four o'clock time slot, I might be just looking at, different Bengals videos or tweets that have been sent out there reading different stuff. So I'm not real, like I'll have red zone on in the background maybe or whatever, but I'm just not locked in on it this week. I didn't have any specific game that I cared about. So I had bets going and different things. And it was like, I was just on the red zone channel the entire time. And it is so good when they call it the witching hour, when it comes down to that final hour of those one o'clock games, it is so good. It's, it's just impossible. I always take it for granted, but it's like, when the Bengals don't play a normal Sunday one or four o'clock time slot, I'm I'm amazed every time. Like, oh God, Red Zone is great. It is. It's fabulous. Yeah. Uh, all right. We already talked about Victor Wembenyama. That was one of our our topics. I do say uh, 
the the Spurs now. I am fully on board with the Spurs plan this year. The I'm a San Antonio Spurs fan, and I know you are. Yes. Their idea to just decimate their entire roster for this season makes so much more sense now. Well, dude, tank I, for Victor. I'm not. I'll be honest with you. I'm a big believer in that in sports. You know what? If you if you trust the people in charge, um, because they've done it before. In the case of San Antonio, they've done it before. Then if you have to start from scratch, by all means, start from scratch and let's go. Yeah, and this dude's the real deal. He's worth tanking for. I'm I'm all in on that. Uh, all right. If Skinny started a foundation, what would it be called, and who would it benefit? I'm I'm kind of I I love what Joe Burrow's doing for hunger. I'm kind of on that same train. I, I would I would honestly try to start something along those lines. Um, the Skinny I, Fund to make people fat would be pretty great. That's, that's a good one. Actually, I like that. That's actually pretty good. Um, I, I've told this story before. Um, when my youngest daughter was younger, she was probably 10 or 11. She mouthed back to my wife one Sunday morning after she was asked to do something. And I grabbed her and I still can remember. I don't think she touched any of the steps as I drug her down the steps. I threw her in the car and I took her around to some housing projects in both Northern Kentucky and downtown Cincinnati. I took her up to Washington Park where a homeless man was lying in his own vomit. And I said, you know, you don't realize how good you got it, man. You don't. I, I get you're a kid. You don't. And she still to this day thanks me for that. She's like, you know what? I, I I probably didn't even appreciate it at the time, but looking back on it, she goes, you're right. I didn't realize how good I've got it. So I, I think the Joe Burrow thing is completely genuine. I think the Heisman Trophy speech was genuine. I think it, it, it the, he even talked about it. I didn't realize, you know, how bad things were when I was little. I was a kid. You don't understand those kind of things. He talked to us about this yesterday a little bit. And um, he said, you know, as, as I kind of got through my college years, I re- realized, hey, these people are just barely getting by. If I can do something, I want to do something. And by gosh, he's in a position where he's doing that. And so I, I'm kind of with Joe. I think what Joe's doing is outstanding. Sam Hubbard the same way. Um, I, I think that's probably what I would try to do. Growing up with Skinny as your dad was just like uh, a one long episode <laughs> of Scared Straight. Yeah, uh, there's some of that, bro. Y- you ever seen that. that show where they just like take the kids to jail and show them yep. what it'd be like? And yep, yeah, that'd be. That was basically you as a dad. Uh, yeah, when I when I dropped her off in Washington Park with the guy laying in his vomit, and I said, I'll be back in a few minutes. I watched her eyes bug out of her heads. Now, I, I barely went around the, the – did a quick thing around the block because I was scared for her myself. But I'm like, oh, see how you handle this, sister. And you could tell. I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to be here. Yeah, you don't. You're right. You want to be back home doing the chore that your mother asked you to do. I'm a little disappointed it was in uh, the skinny fun – for people to learn to stop driving like jackasses. Well, I, you know what? If if I had a, if I had a foundation for fun in that regard, I absolutely would. Um, I think I got a guy pulled over. I hope I did. I, I think that was me that did it. I'm not kidding, Rick. This is no lie. I'm coming down the I-71 corridor, probably around Taft Street. You know, before you would get off where, where our station is. Yes. Um, and and it, you know, there's a lot of merging going on there, right? This guy, I was going 65, so I'm speeding myself. I'm 10 miles. He went around me like I was sitting still heading to the tunnel. And I've gotten rear-ended in the tunnel before where suddenly, for whatever reason, things come to a stop. They just do on occasion. And I, I, he got pulled over in northern Kentucky. I hope I was the one that did it because they must have gone Fort Washington away to Brent Spence Bridge. You, you should. It's so dangerous to go that fast. It's just stupid and reckless. And you got him pulled over. Well, I called 911 on him. So you're a narc. I am in that regard. Yes. Uh, have you tried Skyline's chicken tenders? I have not. I didn't know they had chicken tenders. 
I didn't either. I looked at some pictures online after we got this question, and they look okay. But here's my thing with that, though. Everybody has – it's the thing with chicken tenders, right? Everybody's got them. If you're going to get chicken tenders – I'm going to a Raising Cane's or something. There are like 14 different places that specialize in only chicken tenders. Right. So, yeah, those are kind of the places I tend to hit up. If I'm going to Skyline – it specializes in something pretty specific too. That, so that, that, that I like. Yes. Yeah. Correct. I, I mean, I just don't hear a three way. It's if I'm going to process. skyline, it's for the chili. I, yes. I guess there are people there that just eat it like all the time though. So they actually get to other things on the menu. I just, if I'm going, it's because I want chili. I was going to say, I'm, I'm like a once every two or three weeks skyline guy. Oh, I, if that, I will say I mean, can, canes for us is like a once a week thing. I don't know why just simple. It's easy. It's cheap. It's good. And it's one of those quick meals for, I mean, they specialize in chicken tenders, and they do a pretty good job of it. Yeah. Canes is hard to beat. Very I know, but are, I but know. All, all of those chicken tender places are pretty good. Though. Correct. No, Zaxby's, you name it. Yes. I mean, yeah, they, I'm, I'm with you. They all are. I mean, um, honestly, one of the best chicken tenders I've ever had in my life, and I, it's funny, I don't go there much anymore. We don't eat out a ton, but um, was Cheddar's. Oh, yeah. they they did. Cheddar's has an underrated menu. It does. They got they've got several solid things. They're like the perfect middle America place. Yes, they are. I agree with that. They're, they're like a much better Applebee's or Friday's yes, type spot. Yes, it's just yes. yeah. All right, we'll end with this. I've got some audio for you that okay. I want to play. Uh, this is from Mo Eggers show yesterday from your segment on there. Oh my. Yeah. You know, I also prank called you once too when I was young. I'm sure you did. What did you what, did you call the uh the the Store cable show by chance? No, I, yes, on, on A six. Yes, I, I yes, I pretended. The press box. I pretend. Yeah, the press box. yes, the press box. It was like Don Weber, I think. Right? Was it you? Yeah, it was, it was me. It was me, Tom Gamble, Don Weber, yeah. occasionally. Uh, a friend of ours, Chris Gramke, who we worked at the Post. Yes, it was quite it was quite the collection of panelists, I would say. Yeah, and and I mean, I don't know who would have it. Somewhere a VHS tape exists of me prank on you guys. So, I mean, if I ever find yeah, that, we could have a blast you, with that. I was going to say, did you ask about, like, a St. Henry having a football program and how they're going to do this year when they don't even have football? Did you ask something like that? No, I pretended that as I was uh, launching into whatever I was asking, that there was a home intruder in my house beating me up. And... <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the look that's on everybody's probably, face probably actually, it's probably illegal to be quite honest with yeah you. i mean this is like uh, 1990 whatever but the, the, the looks on everybody's face was was pretty pr- i also used to prank john popovich on channel nine on sunday nights too so uh, yeah okay so skinny we, you just heard that there the segment that you guys had yesterday mo prank calling you as a child one do you remember this at all i assume not I, I remember we used to get when we did the, the it was called the press box on on either store channel six or TKR channel six back in the day. I don't know if you remember either one of those channels in your youth. Um, we would get prank calls. I don't remember his specific prank call. I do. So remember, this was on TV. Right, yeah, yes. Like on, access cable. Yes. Correct. OK. Correct. Um, it was me and Tom Gamble and either Chris Gramke or Don Weber. And we would normally talk high school sports on that show. But. They would take calls, and yes, I remember several prank calls, and we handled them, I thought, with a plum. But I didn't remember him calling me about Eric Kresser on the radio on a postgame show because I kind of brought that up with I'm getting all these people 
clapping back at me with the Joe Mixon running game stuff of need to give Chris Evans more carries. I said, yeah. And I told Mo, yeah, I said, just like you needed to give Eric Kresser more, more throws. So I do remember that prank call. I didn't realize it was him that did it until he fessed I, up to it. I don't think that was a prank call. I think he meant the Eric Kresser. Well, part. maybe he did. Maybe he did. <laughs> I think he really wanted Eric Kresser to play. Cause he did. Then he gave me a cope of, I was dead wrong after he got beat 35, nothing by Tampa yeah. Bay. And I was apparently very right on that. Yeah. So yeah, but no, yeah, I, 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 I love your remember. reaction to the home invasion call, though. You're, I, 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 I think that might that. be illegal. I think it might yeah. be illegal. I, I think, think you're right. Be, I don't I think, think he's allowed to do that. I don't think you are allowed. To, I mean, if, if we had somehow thought it was a home invasion and we had gotten the police involved and it turned out it wasn't, you could, can't you get in trouble for that? Yeah, that's like swatting before swatting was a yes, thing. Yes, correct. Yes, thank you. Yes. Yeah, I mean, basically, Mo was a, a swatter back in his day, which yeah. is just crazy to think about. I mean, I always love hearing stories like this about media people or radio people who were super into it before they got the gig. Like Lance will talk about how he used to call into Bob Trumpy right, show. Right. Occasionally. And I always think that's interesting to hear because, you know, it's cool to be like, ah, oh, they were nerding out about it before that it became their, their job. It's that's always neat to hear, but Mo admitting that he <coughs> called in a prank to your show for a home invade and acted like there was a home invasion going on was just wild. I, I, I wish there was tape of that. Somewhere. I wish there was I would too. I, still I do, see that right now. I do too. I do remember several prank calls. I don't remember that one specifically. Did you have a mustache at the time? I did. Ew, hang on. No, I don't think. I think it was gone by then. No. I had a mustache right. for the bowling show in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've cleared uh, that, that out before. That's the, I was going to say, that's out there on in, in, in the uh, in the YouTube verse. Yeah. What, what was like, uh, do you remember any other great calls you got, whether it be on uh, that TV show or your radio show in the day? No, but I, I will admit to this. We did this when I worked at the Post. We we didn't think much of the Inquirer back in those days, especially with their Northern Kentucky coverage. It was just a pride thing. So um, we called in one night after we got done with the first edition, which was a 12th on Friday nights. The first edition would be out at 1230, and then we would have an hour and a half till two o'clock in the morning for the final edition to go out. And usually there wasn't much to do for the final edition. You'd get a couple of West coast baseball scores. You'd clean up a little bit of the, you know, the silliness of deadline and make sure, you know, everything was completely right. So it was kind of a laid back thing. So we prank called the inquire uh, of St. Henry uh, playing Holy Cross in football at the time. Holy Cross in Northern Kentucky didn't have football <laughs> and the guy made up names from stripes. Like, I don't even remember for those that maybe saw the movie. Have you ever seen the movie stripes, Rick? I hope you have. I have not. It's one of my favorites. It's a classic. But they had a guy named General Barnicky was was a character in the thing. And so he made up Gene Barnicky, had three touchdowns and 107 yards. And so the next day by God in the inquiry, we see that box score made it into their. No way. And it was like S.H. Dash G period Barnicky 27 run. And it was like um, he had another made up name. Uh, for the for the extra point because back in the day when we would put those on it made it that was one of my favorites of all time that because we thought you can't be this stupid and this out of touch but by god they were did they just have like uh stringers and knights taking calls at that time and yes but you didn't you know anything there, yeah you would hope there's an editor that understands that saint henry and holy cross at the time the holy cross has football now and they've had it for numerous years you went there they I'm going to guess they had football. Yeah, they had football when you were there. Yeah, this was in like it was the, only like maybe five or six years old. I think. When yeah, I first this was like in the, the yeah. this was like in the early to mid 90s. We just did it for fun. Um, we kind of sketched it all out. The guy made the call and it got in the paper. That's well, th th that's a great point to bring up, though. Everyone always longs for those olden days when there were real editors at the papers and all this other stuff. Shows, sh goes to show you there was never anyone editing anything. Uh, they just point. put it in the paper. Good point. Good point. Oh. All right. That's all I got.
All right. Thanks, Mo, for the call. I do appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, that's just incredible. I, I would I would kill to see what your reaction was to that. Um, I, I hope I blew him up, but maybe I was too nice and didn't. I'm well, surprised. I, I hope you guys had genuine concern. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess Gamble blew him up. I'm just guessing. <laughs> Knowing him well enough, I'm going to guess he probably he chiefed probably him. Will, he chiefed him to death for sure. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. Appreciate all the questions as always. Keep them coming. We will be back on uh, Sunday night into Monday morning with our Bengals postgame podcast. And we'll be right, right here next week with the same podcast, the Pope podcast. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Board.